So he says in his word, he reminds us, nobody, nobody, nobody likes to be bound by their sin and their junk. Nobody likes it. Nobody likes to be bound to old bad experiences. Nobody likes to be bound by habits. Nobody likes it. Nobody does. And Jesus came to set people free. His word reminds us of this when he says this in Romans. And this is why we're having a baptism. And if you are, I'm just going to tell you today, if you are one of those people that would say, if God speaks to you, always, always listen to God. Always listen to God. He never lies. Listen to him. If he speaks to you today, we'll give you a towel. We'll help you, okay? But if he speaks to you today, you obey today because you're hearing it's a miracle. You're hearing the voice of God. When you hear the voice of God, don't turn aside. Don't get hard. Get soft. Go for it. So he says in Romans, he said, he asked this, puts forward the question, what shall we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Just because now that grace has come, that God's forgiven our sins, do we just keep acting like devils, basically, is what he's saying. And Paul says, certainly not. Because what Jesus paid for, he paid for us to die to that. He paid for us to, it to stop. He paid for us to be transformed on the inside. He paid for us to become children of God from the deepest place, inside. And that's what's supposed to happen. And that's what we're showing and figuring when we do water baptism. He goes on to say it this way. Don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? We are saying, when we're getting baptized, we're saying, he died for me. He took my place. I do not have to stand guilty anymore. I do not have to be ashamed anymore. That stuff has to go because I am in Jesus now. He go, amen. He goes on to say, therefore, we were buried with him. So there's a death. There's a certain kind of a funeral. The people are going to go under the water and then come up out of the water. They go under the water. It's the funeral of the old man. No more. Goodbye. We, you don't live here anymore. You don't have first place anymore. Get out. And he's raised up. We're buried with him through baptism and death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. We believe for that to be every Christian's portion. Raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead comes here and overflows here, and we have life here by the Spirit of God. That's what we're believing for in water baptism, to encounter that. So I'm going to ask those. We have two people getting baptized today. Come on up here, Bob. Come on up here, Corbin. And they're going to quickly just share very brief and quick testimony. And then we're going to go over there and worship is going to continue. And if you're one of those, you hear God talking to you. I know it's going to be wet. I know it's going to be. You just obey. Amen. So I'm Bob, and I've been active in various churches, but I've also walked away. And the word I was given is, God's arm can reach you wherever you are. My name is Corbin. And the reason I'm getting baptized today is so I can let God into my heart. 
Amen. Amen. Okay. Amen. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that virtue flowed out of you when she touched your garment. Those of us that are touching your garment right now symbolically, I thank you that your resurrection life is flowing right now. It's restoring. It's making new. Spirit, soul, and body. Where there's been mourning, we just release a joy. The joy that comes from being in your presence. A joy that brings healing. Asking according to your will that our joy might be fulfilled in the name of Jesus. Lord, where there's been pain, where there's been physical pain and it's led to emotional pain, it's been chronic Lord, this woman had the issue of blood for years, for years. We just release your virtue in accordance with your will, your resurrection life flow, taking care of the pain right now. It's gone in the name of Jesus. Right now, in the name of Jesus, that same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And if he dwells in you, he'll quicken your mortal body. Amen. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Oh, I've got a word from the Lord, and I'm going to deliver it. But before I do, I want to release the kids to Kids Church. I want to say thank you to the worship team. Awesome job, guys. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you to Pastor Cheryl and uh, Paul for sharing. And if you want to just say a quick hello to somebody, go ahead. Man, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. I heard a bunch of online voices right there. If you're listening online, we just welcome you. Praise God. You are with us, and when we're gathered together, he is in our midst, and we're seeing that evidence right now. So good. This is just a series. This is the first in a message on a series that God just put on my heart. <clears throat> he, told, he told me, it started in Brazil. He said, Josh, love the one right in front of you. And so I want us all in this, in this group of messages starting today, just to have that, that, that encouragement in our hearts. He wants us to love the person right in front of us. A couple weeks ago, uh, my family and I, we were uh, playing some hockey. And um, <laughs> yeah, we were doing some fun, fun stuff with another family. And, and so when I went into the arena, we play at the Clayton Arena, and trust me, we're nothing special. Um, at least I'm not. I'll speak for myself. And I'll prove it right now. I'm walking into the arena, and I have to go to the bathroom. And so I go into the bathroom, and, and I'm taking care of business. And then I hear my, my wife's voice from behind me in the bathroom. What are you doing, Josh? She said, honey. For your sake, I said, Josh. She said, what are you doing, honey? And I said, what are you doing? And she said, did you know this is the ladies' room? <laughs> and I said, I did not know this was the ladies' room. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Truth be told, I did it two weeks in a row. <laughs> and that was after the first time where I looked at the sign and said, yes, this is the ladies' room, and confirmed it. Sometimes we miss what's right in front of us. We've got such an agenda, and we're going for it. Sometimes it's more of an agenda than others. <laughs> this is a picture of Mount Tabor. It's a mountain in Israel. And this is the site where Jer shared last week, this is the site that most believe is the site of the transfiguration, 
Our brother Jeremiah shared an awesome message. If you weren't here to hear it, I want you to listen to that or watch it online. It was a great message. I won't attempt to summarize that in any way. He did an awesome job with it, and God used it. One thing I will mention, though, from that message is that God was using that situation through Jesus, as Jer explained, to teach Moses and Elijah there in spiritual presence, and also Peter, James, and John. Jesus, through his ministry, was constantly teaching, and he was teaching us to love the people right in front of us. Matthew 17, Luke 9, Mark 9 tell the story about what happens on this mountain just after the transfiguration. Jesus is going down the, the side of the mountain. There's a, couple, there's a few disciples, I'm guessing nine since he has three with him. The nine remaining are down on the base of the mountain. And they're dealing with this problem. A distraught father has lost hope. He's despairing. His son, his only son, is afflicted with this demon. It throws him down, slams him on the ground, and he doesn't know what to do. And so he's asked the nine disciples, heal him, would you? I know that you've done healing in the past. You're disciples of Jesus. Heal this boy, would you? My only son. The disciples can't do it. And so Jesus, after the transfiguration, he's coming down and he meets this man and he heals the boy on the spot. He says, come out of him. Mark says it's a command. Come out of him. The power and the authority of Jesus exercised in the moment. But we would be mistaken if we thought that it was only the power and the authority of Jesus that's operating in that moment. It's his love and his compassion that's operating. He's loving the person right in front of him. The, the disciples ask, why couldn't we do that? How is it that you were able to do that and we couldn't? Jesus says, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus is using the backdrop of Mount Tabor as an illustration of the affliction this boy is experiencing. How impossible it seems that this huge mountain would be moved. But Jesus is saying just faith as a mustard seed will not only move this literal mountain, but remove this mountain of affliction that you failed to believe through, that you failed to have faith as a mustard seed for. been spending some time with these groups of passages, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, on this, on this subject, and he's just been showing me some things, so I'm going to share that with you. This is what the disciples, the nine that were left down, saw. They saw the symptoms of the affliction. They saw a boy that was struggling, afflicted with seizures. He would grind his teeth. He would foam at the mouth. He'd have violent falls, and with those falls, he'd get bruised. He was unable to speak, and at times he became rigid, unable to move. And so they're looking at this, what they think is the mountain, but they're only seeing part of the mountain, the very tip of the mountain. They're looking at this affliction. How many times have we, 
when we've experienced something ourselves or when we're praying for somebody else, a family member, a friend that's dealing with an affliction, how many times have we really looked at what really constitutes that mountain? I've been one to look at the symptoms. Oh, you've got cancer. You're dealing with loss. You're depressed. You're dealing with chronic pain. Oh, I can understand, brother, why you're depressed. We look at the symptoms sometimes, don't we? These are disciples that have previously cast out demons. They've, they've seen people healed when God sent them out, the 12 at least. In the next chapter, we see 70 going out. But the 12 at least have gone out two by two and prayed and seen miraculous things happen. But for whatever reason, and I'm going to tell you what it is, what I believe it is. For whatever reason, and I'll tell you, they're not getting through. The mountain's not moving until Jesus shows up. Jesus, no one else interviews the Father, at least according to all three texts, but Jesus interviews this earthly Father. He knows the symptoms that the boy is going through, but Jesus is seeing the person right in front of him. Not the distraction, if you will. Not that Jesus doesn't care of the, of the son, but not the distraction of the physical symptoms. He's seeing the person in front of him. He's seeing the Father. He asks the father, how long has this been going on? And the father says, from childhood. From childhood. Remember, this is the same Jesus that has been teaching the disciples, the three on the Mount of Transfiguration, and for the previous two and a half years of ministry. He's been teaching them. And this situation is no different. We're followers of Jesus, are we not? He's teaching us too. When he asks that question, he already knows the answer because he's operating in perfect love. But when the Father gives the answer within earshot of everyone else listening, he's bringing out the Father's heart, the earthly Father's heart. He's starting to show the bigger picture of the mountain. The Father is struggling with discouragement. Jesus asks this question. How long has it been? He says, from childhood. The father goes on and says, but if you can do anything, help, have compassion and help us. It's not just the physical symptoms. It's the discouragement. It's the fear. It's the desperation in the earthly father's heart. He's loving the one in front of him. Luke records this. And the father's response, teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. He's bringing out more of the picture. There's more at stake than just these physical symptoms. There's a broken heart at stake. He's showing us that the person right in front of him, the base of this mountain that he says can move with faith as a mustard seed, the base of it is a broken heart. Every time Jesus heals, every single time Jesus heals, he's touching the heart. He's looking into the eyes of a person. He touches their physical body as an inroad to the heart. He wants us to do the same, amen? A few verses earlier, the disciples 
can't do it. The father tells Jesus. The earthly father tells Jesus. The disciples can't do it. Jesus' response, oh, faithless and perverse generation. He's talking about his disciples. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me, the child. Jesus rebuked the demon. The child was cured that very hour. There's something of a lack of faith that the disciples are operating in. He's calling it out. There's something of a distortion, a corruption in their hearts, perversion. There's something not of him that they're operating in. He says, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? The first year of his ministry, there's a nobleman, a guy that's connected to royalty that comes to him on behalf of his daughter who's dying. And Jesus starts teaching the disciples right there. I'm seeing the person right in front of me. I'm loving the person right in front of me. He heals the daughter. A year before this encounter on Mount Tabor, another man comes to Jesus. And he says, help, help my son, help my son. There's a guy named Jairus, he's a religious leader. Help, help my, it's his daughter actually, help my daughter. Jesus seeing him says, okay, I will go. And he goes with Peter in and raises. That. Another encounter that he, these are all encounters. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? He's going into this village called Nain, this town. He's got a big crowd with him. And there he sees this processional. It's not just any procession. It's a funeral procession. And there's this widow with her only son in the casket. And they meet them at the gate. Jesus, who's responsible for all of these people that he's trying to teach, they're with him, the crowd, including the disciples, and many more. He stops and loves the one right in front of him and commands the boy to rise. He rises from the dead. How, how many times has he done that for us? In his sweetness, in his conviction, not condemnation, not guilt, not shame, but in his mercy and in his chastening and his loving us as the person right in front of him. How many times has he said to us, how long shall I bear with you? How long shall I be with you? And we won't get it. I just confess to you, I confess in truth, he is building my love. He's growing my capacity to love. More and more, less of my agenda and more of his agenda, the person right in front of me. This really fits me. I think and hope it fits you too. It's an encouraging word because he is patient. He never slacks in, in going after us and loving us. His mercies are new every morning. Jesus gives two reasons why the disciples were unsuccessful. Because of unbelief. And he also says this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. They've had success in the past but not with this particular mountain, not with this particular affliction. Charles Price, in his book, The Real Faith, came out in 1941. There's a, a revision in 2008. Great book. I encourage anybody to read it. It's called The Real Faith. In one encounter, this is Charles Price, okay? This is atheist, skeptic, <laughs> 
when he became a Christian, skeptic of all things that God wants to do in the Spirit. But God moves on him, the Holy Spirit fills him, and he, he goes from being a skeptic to being a major, major minister in healing. He's in a series of meetings, and in this one encounter, he, um, he meets, he's praying for everybody, and the Holy Spirit's just moving. And he's, everybody in this line is getting healed. He can just feel the grace and the power of God moving. Everybody's getting healed. Until he comes to this little girl. She's been dealing with a disability for a number of years. And he prays for her, and nothing happens. And so he takes a step back. He says, Holy Spirit, what, what's going on here? And the Holy Spirit prompts him with a thought. Ask the mother if she's been involved with the occult. And so in obedience, this is a guy that hears from the Lord and seeks the Lord. He asks the mother, have you ever been involved with the occult? And she says, yes. And almost immediately she starts crying because the Holy Spirit's convicting her and showing her how the curse that's been on her daughter for so long has been related to her and her involvement with the occult. In tears, in genuine heart, she repents. She, repents. She, she receives forgiveness, and the girl is healed. Right there. I love that story because this is a book that Charles Price writes about faith, and he's combating unbelief. But what he's doing in that moment is the foundation for our faith, at least any faith that's biblical, any faith that's even more importantly in God, the God. It's based in love. He's seeing what the Holy Spirit is seeing, the one right in front of him, the mother of the daughter, not just the one that came up for prayer, but the one that the Holy Spirit wants to reach as well for a complete family restoration. How many times do we miss that? This is a safe place. You will hear me readily, <laughs> maybe too often, admit, or I've missed the mark. This is one of those areas he's convicted me of. And I'm not trying to project it on anybody. I really am not. But it's something that the Lord is putting on my heart that we need to grow in, his love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says this, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The author of Hebrews tells us, now, fa now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is predicated on hope, according to Hebrews 11, verse 1. Paul writes in Romans, hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's love that's the greatest of these. It's love that leads to true hope, and it's hope that faith is built on, mountain-moving faith. We need to love the one right in front of us. We need to love the person right in front of us. I was buying a truck recently, and boy, it's a new truck. It's a 2007, but it's amazing how new a truck feels when You've been driving a 2004 rust bucket for a while. It was a great truck. God gave me a price to buy 
to pay for a truck a few years back. It was, that's another testimony for another time, and I knew this was it. And I especially knew when the Holy Spirit spoke through my wife Becky and said, you should do this. <laughs> if she hadn't said that, I wouldn't have done it. So I'm buying this truck, and I've been saving for a while for this truck. And I'm, I'm at the point of making this transaction. And I find myself loving the one right in front of me. The transaction becomes such a small thing on my mind. And I'm seeing the pain in this woman. She's, she's guarded. There's no smile. There's pain. And God's just speaking to me. Love her like I love her. I have ordained this. Not that you can buy some earthly materialistic truck, but th- so you can love this woman in front of you. Becky and my wife, Dave, or my, boy, my wife, Becky, and my son, Dave, are right there with me. And I just gave her this simple word. I said, God sees you. He knows everything you've been through, and he loves you. That wall came right down. She burst into tears. That's an impossible mountain for someone to, 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 to get past unless God, unless God touches, unless his love goes right into the heart. I'd been interacting with this woman through the course of our deal for, I don't know, a week. No sign of change. Hardened, very hard. But God was moving. She burst into tears and she let me pray for her. God touched her heart. God touched her heart. We're supposed to love the one right in front of us. I want to give you a visual of what Jesus did when he interviewed the Father. This mountain of affliction that the disciples are seeing. Jesus asked the question, as I said before, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. Jesus asking these questions, not because he doesn't love the one in front of him, but he's trying to help everyone else, including us, see it's not the mountain that's the issue. It's the broken heart that's the issue. And the person starts to become into, come into focus as the, as the disciples listen. The father says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. the broken heart starts to become visible as the mountain of that physical, that the physical symptoms start to go down. The real mountain is starting to come into focus. He says he's my only son. And that registers for some of us here. We know what it's like to lose a child. The mountain continues to fade. That very mountain that he says, faith is a mustard seed. Faith that's predicated on love. The pure faith of heaven, first foundationally based on love, is moving that mountain as Jesus interviews the Father and loves the person right in front of him. He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And he says it in tears. And that's when Jesus does it. He breaks open the boy's heart, commands the demon to come out of him, breaks through to the boy's heart. 
The boy is healed, and the father is healed. The light that God intends for everyone to have, his light, shining into the boy and shining through the boy. It is such a powerful testimony in this world, not how much money we have, not how smart we are, how eloquent we are. Paul says it. If I have faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, it's nothing. It's such a powerful testimony. When we let him love us, the one right in front of him, each of us, right in front of him, we let him love us, he heals our hearts, and that testifies. We're truly loving those around us. I want to share two quick passages and then we're going to close with communion. You can get your elements ready if you have them. And if you don't, um, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will give them to you. Yeah. We hope you can join us online as well. Jesus, toward the end of his long sermon, his Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. If you're like me, you think of yourself as a lawful, law-abiding citizen. I might go over the speed limit a couple miles an hour once in a while. Any police officers here? Truth be told, true confessions. No, it's not the type of lawlessness he's talking about. He's talking about the essence of who he is. He gave us two commandments. Love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength and mind. And the second is like it. Love our neighbor as ourselves. When we're not operating in love, we fit the description of what Jesus is saying here. Depart from me. I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. He wants us to love the people in front of us. There's something about the foolishness of preaching. Paul says it to the Corinthians. There's something about the foolishness of what I'm doing right now that causes his heart to be revealed. That's why I do it. Just to be his messenger, not his manager, as, as you know. <laughs> I, I do a bad job of being his manager. But being his messenger, love is big on his heart. It's a love that never fails. Ever. Amen. If you would, just grab your elements. If you're not used to these, there's a little plastic top on the a layer on the very top. You can just pull that off first, and that'll give you your bread. And then you pull off that purple tab, and that'll give you your juice. And we'll take care of the bread first. But before I do, I just want to read something to you. Jesus died for us because he loves us. The ones right in front of him. We're on his refrigerator. He's got our picture on a magnet on his refrigerator. It's that love of Jesus that he wants us to receive and give to others. 
And the longest prayer that Jesus said, according to John, according to Scripture, John 17, he ends it with this. I have declared to them your name, Father, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. This is Jesus, the night he's betrayed, within 24 hours of his body being broken and his blood being spilled for us. Thank you, Jesus, for it. I'm going to read to you one more passage, and then we'll partake. Let me go over with you again exactly what goes on at the Lord's Supper. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians, first letter. Why it's so centrally important. I received my instructions from the Master himself and passed them on to you. The Master Jesus, on the, right, on the night of his betrayal, took bread Having given given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you would, just take your bread. Jesus, we thank you that you loved us so much. You endured whipping, cutting, bruising, piercing, suffocation your physical body was given for us fill our hearts with your love and right now I guess folks just a minute if there's anything that's blocking us from the love of Jesus right now I want to give a a, just a quick pause and let let the Holy Spirit minister if there's anything that's blocking us from receiving his love He loved us so much when he died. I'm just going to give a minute. Repent of it if there is anything. All you have to say is, I'm done with that. I receive your love, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your body broken. We thank you for your love for us. We repent of anything that's been blocking it selfishness, whatever it is. Receive your forgiveness. Receive your love like you want us to. Let's partake. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. Lord, we thank you for your blood spilled for us, your stripes, and by your stripes we're healed. Anything that you want to do to heal our hearts with your love, heal our bodies, right now, we invite it. As we partake, we remember your suffering, Jesus. We love you because you first loved us. Let's partake. Amen. Father, everything that you intend to do through communion, where we're in union with you and when we're in communion and unity with each other. We agree together right now in receiving that and blessing that. Just as it is in heaven, the unity in you, the unity in your love, it would be done here on earth. In our body and in every church, every body that lifts your name up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.